So, I've got a problem now. I, I'm a bit emotional. <laughs> Wasn't that amazing? And the other problem is, I'm getting addicted to seeing people set free. And seeing lives change. So, I've got an addiction problem. Maybe I can come to AA next week after all. Because it's just the most amazing thing. And do you know why we're talking about discipleship? Is because we want to see this story multiplied time and time again. And... Uh, So, Andrew is my illustration today of a man of peace. He wasn't always a man of peace. Sometimes he wasn't, definitely wasn't a man of peace. But that's what I want to talk to you about uh, today, if I can seamlessly move into that. Because we want to be, and what we feel commissioned by God to be as Jubilee, is a church of changed lives. So, actually, Andrew's given his story, but we could go around the room, and there are many other stories of changed lives in this room here today. Even in this room, there are many other changed lives. And that's what we believe God has called us to do. Because, you see, just because Andrew was an alcoholic and had all that, actually, we're all messed up. (laughs) We're all learners who need Jesus to change our lives. We are all on this journey, and we're all works in progress. And we all have different issues. I remember one of the conversations we had early on, Andrew, was... You look around as people and you think they're all so middle class and so good, but actually I know a lot of them. (laughs) And I also know myself. And when you've been around church a bit, you find some, some great brokenness. And it all looks very respectable, but actually we are all desperately needy of Jesus. Isn't that right? And... Uh, so I want to just inspire you with with that story and also with uh, some stuff that Jesus says about how to help people find him. So that's really just what I want to talk about today. And um, I want to focus on how we help people who don't know Jesus yet find out what he's like. And last time we talked about invitation and challenge is a big part of discipleship, that basically we draw, people are drawn close to us within the context of church, perhaps in the context of of relationships in the church, people are drawn to us, we're a bit further on, we can help them along the journey, and then that involves challenge as well, that we, we challenge one another, we call out goodness from one another, we call out identity, we call out gold in one another, that's what we practice in the church, okay, we get to practice that. And with unbelievers, it's slightly different. And uh, if you're an unbeliever here today, sorry for talking about you in this way. But it's because we love you and because we love Jesus and we want you to know about Jesus that we're talking about how can we help loads of other people find out about this amazing Jesus. So you're, you're overhearing the internal strategy of Jubilee Church at the moment to make Jesus known everywhere because that's what we want to do. So with unbelievers, it's slightly different. There is invitation and challenge in the same cut, but it's the opposite way around because actually we want unbelievers to invite us into their lives. We want them to give us permission. We want, we want to be friends with lots of unbelievers. We're not interested in just creating this little holy huddle where we're all Christians. We want to know lots of people who don't know Jesus yet because we hope that in getting to know us, they're going to get to know something of Jesus too as we learn to be like Jesus, as we learn to speak like Jesus. And the challenge, if there is a challenge, may come for the unbeliever. And the challenge for the unbeliever is, do you want to know Jesus or not? I mean, why wouldn't you want to know Jesus when he changes your life? (laughs) When he's changed my life, when you've been around me and you see what a mess I am, but how Jesus loves me. 
So there is invitation and challenge, but it's a slightly different thing. But when it comes to unbelievers, we've got to deal with some stuff. I'm talking to Christians now that we've got to deal with some of our own junk, all right? And some of our own junk is speaking to unbelievers about Jesus. Because some of us have got some hang-ups about that. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word evangelism. Does it make you tremble and feel cold sweat all over you? And you think, I don't want to do it. I am not interested in evangelism. Perhaps you're immediately put off. Perhaps it's because of the embarrassment that you've faced in the past. You know, perhaps you've seen those people with placards on the streets. There was one on the street in Solihull the other day. I walked past thinking, I know you're a believer, but I am so embarrassed by what you're saying and what you're doing because you're not representing Jesus to me. Never mind people who don't even know him yet. You know, perhaps that's been your experience. There's been an embarrassment factor. Or there's just been disappointment. You know, for years I've wanted to see people come to know Jesus. It's just not happened around me for some reason. Or I've been praying for this person for years and nothing's happened. So perhaps there's disappointment. I just want to get one thing really clear for you today. And I hope that this is going to set you free. Jesus never called us all to be evangelists. He did call some people to be evangelists, and those people are called to equip the church to help us be something else, which is witnesses. Jesus called us to be witnesses. He says, go, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be his witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be his witnesses. That's what it says in Acts. You just are. You will be. It's something that you become. It's something that you are because the Holy Spirit is upon you. That's what your life is. From the moment the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're a witness. Okay, so what is a witness then? Well, just put it this way. If you were accused of a crime that you didn't commit and the possible sentence was jail or even the death sentence... But you have a witness in your life whose testimony was guaranteed to get you off. What kind of person would that witness be to you? A friend. You'd hope that they were a friend. You'd hope that they were a friend of yours that would come close, that would stand beside you and tell you the truth to set you free. That's what we're called to do. We're called to be those kinds of witnesses. And that's what we're called to be, friends who are called to be like Jesus. And when the invitation comes to talk about Jesus, it's about partnering with the Father in doing this. Because you see, and actually God is the one true evangelist. Did you know that? God himself is the one true evangelist. Father God is more interested in introducing people to Jesus than any of us are. No, really. He is more interested in people knowing about Jesus because it cost him everything. It costs the Father everything. It costs Jesus everything. And so he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth because he doesn't want the sacrifice of Jesus to be in vain. God is incredibly motivated to see people get saved and come into his family. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, the father, he says about the Father, he says, my Father, he is always working. That's what he says. So Jesus says, my father, he's always working everywhere. 
everywhere, all the time. He never stops working in every house, in every street, in every school, in every cinema, in every family, in every country. He is always working. The Father is always working. Drawing men and women and children to him. And he wants us just to partner with him in finding them. You see, these people that the Father is working on, they're everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. So it says in Matthew 10 uh, and Luke 10, Jesus gives a name to these kind of people. The people that the Father has been working on, he calls them people of peace. People of peace. People that the Father, just think about this. There are people out there who the Father has already been working on. Think about that for a moment. You don't have to go out and be an evangelist. You just need to bump into the people the Father is already being evangelizing. There are actually people out there who are desperate to find God. Do you know one of the most transforming moments in my life was there was a girl in my college course uh, who wasn't a believer, but a close friend of hers suddenly got killed. And she was absolutely devastated by this. She was called Andrea. She was devastated, but I didn't come close. I didn't get close. The invitation was there, but I didn't get close. I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to say. I found her attractive, so I thought my motives were a bit strange, perhaps. Whatever reason or excuse, I didn't get close. Years later, I bumped into her in a shopping mall, and she came up and she threw her arms around me, I thought, oh, I could have had a chance with her after all. Um, Threw her arms around me. She said, Rob, Rob, the most amazing thing has happened. I'm so glad I can see you. She says, I've met Jesus and he's amazing. And I said, wow, that's incredible. Well, I know Jesus too, thinking she'd be excited. And she gave me this look, which I'll never forget. And it's done something in me. She said, well, why didn't you tell me? I was desperate. I went here, I went there, I went everywhere trying to find this Jesus that I've now found. And you were sitting next to me and you never told me. I thought, oh, I'm so sorry. Because you see, there are people everywhere in our lives that are trying to find Jesus. Because God has already awakened their hearts and they're already ready to receive the gospel. Jesus needs, it seems, to open our eyes to see it. So on one occasion, Jesus says he takes his disciples out into the fields and he says, right guys, you need to see something. Look, lift up your eyes and see. There's the field, it's in harvest. There's a massive harvest out there. You need to go in and bring the harvest in. You need to go out and bring the harvest in. The Father has already been planting seeds and cultivating all over the place. It's white to harvest, but you need to see it. And this is what I'm beginning to realize, that the the problem with openness and the gospel is not so much to do with unbelievers, but it's to do with believers. Because we've got some hang-ups about evangelism. Turn to the person next to you and say, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't have any problems in this area. (laughs) 
So I want to try and give you some tools to help you with this today. And it's a strategy that Jesus gave us for finding these people. And I'm just being honest with you, I'm learning myself on this. I feel like I may be one or two steps ahead of some people, but other people are already ahead of me, but I get to teach it. So, but I'm a learner, I'm a disciple, if you like, and I feel like I'm dealing in, in this process, I'm dealing with some of my own religious baggage. Isn't that terrible? We've got religious baggage. I feel like I'm having to deal with that. Because, you know, one of the biggest religious baggage things for me is that you can be friends with unbelievers, and it's okay, because of my background. I think that's a dreadful lie. But we can just be friends. It doesn't need to be any more than that. I used to get told, friendship with the world is the enemy of God. Without reading the rest of the passage. (laughs) But God's been opening me up in this whole area. And I'm finding a new level of faith. A growing expectation, excitement for being involved in Jesus' mission to help people find the Father. That's That's my understanding of the mission of Jesus. Helping people to find the Father. And he's a good, good father, as we've been singing this morning. And here's the tool that Jesus gave his disciples. In Matthew 10, he calls his disciples to him and sends them out to the neighboring villages and towns with these instructions. Matthew chapter 10, I'm just going to read that to you, verses 6 to 16. Are you enjoying this? Is it good? Or are you feeling uncomfortable yet? So, 6 to 16, the 12, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Here's the strategy, guys. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans because the Father isn't working there yet. I just put that bit in. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely Give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for your journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the, work, the worker is worthy of his keep. And whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there, a person of peace, and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your word, shake the dust of your feet. And when you leave that home or when you leave that home or town, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. But guys, what you need to realize is I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So Jesus is very clear, isn't he? he? He says there is a strategy. There's a strategy. I want you to go here, but don't go there yet because the Father isn't working there. <laughs> there's a strategy and there's a plan that he's orchestrated in bringing in the harvest. And we need to see, therefore, where the Father is working. As Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And that's what we need to learn to do. Don't go here. Don't go there. There's a plan. Do you believe that God has a plan? Do you believe that he is organized like that? Do you believe that he has a plan for your life? Do you believe that he has a plan for your friend's life? He has a plan. There is a plan for why you work where you work. There's a plan for why you live where you live. 
where you eat, where you travel, where you go on holiday, where you go to church. There's a plan. I went to a party I didn't want to go to the other night. There was a plan. I ended up meeting somebody and praying for them and they were instantly healed. They've been sick for six weeks, unable to work with labyrinthitis. I prayed for them and I got a text a few days later to say, it's unbelievable. Since you prayed for me, I'm well and I'm now back to work. Thanks. (laughs) Not so much happy about going back to work. But they were. They've been ill. There's a plan. Unfortunately, at this point, the live recording failed on Sunday, which means that we've had to record it again. I'll just hand you back over to Rob. So, yes, indeed, there is a plan. God has a plan. And because God is working all the time, everywhere, we are literally surrounded by men and women, boys and girls who are worthy of our witness, people upon whom your peace can rest and doesn't return to you. It's a strange idea, this idea of a person of peace. So what is it about? Well, it just means that there's an openness to you, an invitation to draw close or an invitation for friendship that they won't be rude to you or reject you. I mean, isn't that good that there are some people like that around, people that won't reject you? And you say, well, that's not my experience. Well, that's because the people you're trying to influence are not people of peace, because otherwise they wouldn't be rude to you. Or you need to back off a bit and pray that they can become people of peace, and so we need to learn how to recognise them. We need to learn how to recognise the person of peace. And according to Jesus, there are three ways that we can recognize them. And the first one is this. They welcome you. So a person of peace will literally open their hearts, their arms and their homes to you and and invite you in. Otherwise, if they don't, then move on from there or shake the dust off your feet, as Jesus says in Matthew 10. So don't irritate them with your presence. Don't Bible bash them or cause them to react. Don't harden them further to the gospel. Let them go because it's not their time or it's not even your time. So it's not their time, it's not your time. I remember when I was working in business many years ago, there was a man in the office, one of the partners, who was the most resistant person to the gospel. I mean, he took took his time to uh, to have a go at me to to tease me about it try and even to try and tempt me uh, to do things that were not Christian in fact he was so resistant that I said to him on one occasion look one day you're definitely going to become a Christian and when you do let me know because you can't be this resistant for no reason and then it was uh, I don't know about 15 years later I'd heard that he'd become a Christian uh, through a series of circumstances that had happened in his in his life, that he'd actually turned to God in desperation. And he actually goes to one of the churches uh, related to us down on the south coast. Absolutely fantastic. But it was not his time. And it was not my time. It wasn't my time to lead him to Christ at that time. And so we need to learn to see what the Father is doing and then act. Uh, But sometimes we just need to move on and leave them in God's hands. Of course, at that stage, there's no harm in reminding the Father regularly about a particular person that we care about. 
A good example of this kind of person of peace might be the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 or Cornelius in Acts 10, both of whom welcome Paul into their houses and give him food and shelter. Okay, so that's the first one, welcome. The second one is they listen to you. So a person of peace will listen to what you say because as Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 verse 16 he who listens to you listens to me and he who rejects you rejects me. I don't know about you but I, it's quite hard to take it not to take it personally when it comes to being rejected especially if it's someone who's close to us but Jesus is very clear when it comes to the gospel the rejection is not of you but of him. He feels it. It's his responsibility. I mean, you'll have heard Andrew in the testimony earlier describe his reaction to me when I challenged him about his drinking. So in that time, I backed off. I gave him over to God in prayer. I handed him over to Jesus and let Jesus work on his heart because he's much better at changing hearts and minds than I am after all. But when somebody does start to listen to you, when they start to follow your advice or take some positive steps in the right direction, then this is a strong indicator that they're not only a person of peace, but they're also a step closer to making a decision for Jesus. So a good biblical example of this might be Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, it says that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the message of Paul. She started to listen to him and she responded to him. And the third one is this, that they support or serve you. And I've got to say, this is the one I've missed time and time again. They support or serve you. Jesus says, as you go, take nothing with you, no bag, no extra clothes, no money. Go empty-handed and look out for those who want help, want to help and serve you, and you'll find the person of peace. And as I say, I think this is the one I've missed more than others, because I thought it was my job to serve them. I mean, surely Christians are the ones who are meant to be doing all the good works. But no, an unbeliever will sometimes look for ways to support or help you, perhaps unconsciously, as a way of spending more time with you, or because they see something in you that they want to honour. I mean, how about that? I mean, my current neighbour, for example, will often bring food around or offer me lifts to work just to spend time with me. I found that astonishing. Of course, he also asked me to bless him sometimes as well, which initially I took as a bit of a a leg pull, but realised he was deadly serious. And I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt me on one occasion to stop and bless him, which I literally did. A good example of this is the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Jesus sits down and asks her for a drink. Will she serve me is the question he seems to be asking. Uh, Funnily enough, if you read the story, you'll see he never did get that drink, but he does bring all her friends to listen to him. And I realise just how many times I've missed this. As I think about my old boss, who'd often want to take me out to lunch, it seems now just to spend time with him, or a neighbour who would often drop in at inconvenient times or want to help me out with something or other. And because of my problem with not being able to do DIY, I used to think he was coming around to criticise me, but realise, looking back, he just wanted to spend some time with me. So who might you have missed? I'm just going to take a moment or time now, a moment of time now for you to chat to your neighbour and see if you can identify some of the people of peace who are in your life at the moment.
So having identified these people of peace, the next question is what do I do with them? But I'm not going to deal with that now, the what next, because Becky is going to come back to that. So I'm going to leave it there. I was going to discuss with you the relationship triangle. Uh, Basically, in a nutshell, we're talking about identifying different kinds of relationship uh, with different persons of peace that sometimes will help us to know what to do next. So sometimes it's the passing relationship people we just meet in the queue or we just see from time to time that's called a passing relationship. There's nothing more to do with those really other than just to uh, take advantage of the practice opportunity as we pass people in in that way and trust God that we're just sowing seed that others might even reap in the future. And then there's the developing relationship. Uh, Those are people that perhaps you've had more interaction with, you see them quite regularly, and perhaps you need to think about, well, what's the next step? What's the permission that I do have? How far does the invitation go? Is it time to challenge them for the next level? or not and then thirdly there's the permanent relationship and these can be the hardest people to work with these are people perhaps in our family in our closest circle of friends and they can feel a bit like you're running a marathon with them and they're usually the most difficult people uh, to tell about Jesus just to say about that one just don't take all the responsibility on yourself. I think sometimes we can. We feel like we're the only people speaking into their lives. What we need are, are people who are going to be passing relationships to speak to them, people who are in developing relationships to speak to them. We may not be the ones to lead them to Christ. And after all, he's the great evangelist and we need to trust him with that.